0: Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church and our second service here on Sunday morning, our Christmas story. We spent a little bit of time in the first session working on sort of an intro to uh, our Christmas story. It was uh, enjoyable for me. Hopefully, it was for you as well. <clears throat> I will. Yes, right. Anne is back there. I heard that amen from Anne. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that is for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this morning as we prepare for our next service, We have a few seconds for personal spiritual preparation. We will be studying the Christmas story, continuing our study in the Christmas story. And this is our opportunity, of course, for confession of sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, of course, the purpose of confession of sins is to be filled with God the Holy Spirit so that God the Holy Spirit is not just overshadowing us but is actually working, influencing us. And that's what happens when we confess our sins. This is also our opportunity for giving. Uh, The Lord has provided a a mechanical means for us to give, to support his ministries. And as I've often said, it would be very easy for him to simply provide that support uh, in any way he so desired. But he allows us to have the blessing of giving to his organizations and his ministries. And so we do that by taking what he has given us and really returning it to him. And of course he tells us in Philippians 4, Philippians 4.19, that he will resupply all that we have given. And so it's a matter of, giving and resupply and the blessing is not only in the fact that he has provided for us in grace but that he will resupply us in grace as well so each one of you should give just as you purpose or determine in your, your own heart not reluctantly or under compulsion for the Lord loves a cheerful or a grace oriented giver Let's bow our heads in prayer. dearly Father, we're thankful that you have this system of giving, that we can come to you in love as you have come to us. We're also thankful for this very special occasion, an occasion that allows us to stop and focus on the birth of your Son, the birth of our Saviour the Lord Jesus Christ there is great significance to this it alters human history it provides salvation for human history Father we pray that in understanding that significance we would be encouraged motivated to be like the shepherds and go and tell others take that message to others We pray as we study our passage of scriptures this morning, really several different passages, that we will understand their significance and truly be filled with the importance of these events and not with a season that is focused more on individuals and the material side. So we pray for God the Holy Spirit's guidance and influence as we continue our worship service. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Our second session here of our Christmas story, and in our first session, we studied several passages, actually starting in the book of Luke. But, those passages and three points of chronology have brought us to Matthew. And Matthew is where we finished last time. We were looking at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. We also looked a little bit at the genealogy and the importance of the genealogy and why Matthew followed that genealogy with the information about Joseph, beginning in verse 18, because this is not where we have the expanded version of Mary's, the announcement to Mary, but it's the announcement to Joseph. So, in Matthew 2... Matthew 2 1 through 12 We actually have a later event. I'm going to I we have not quite I thought I, we might get here, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to change our scripture reading to Luke 2. So instead of being at Matthew 2 right now, let's turn back to Luke 2. Luke 2 Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And I'll probably only read down to verse 7. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, taxed. Registration for taxation. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph, son of Jacob, also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. in the end. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful, as always, for each and every passage that we we read and study, and we're thankful here for this passage in Luke, Luke 2, about the birth of our Savior. We pray as we study it that uh, the sense of the importance of it would be real to us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are again the Christmas story this morning, looking well by a little quickly, Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, the biblical story of our Savior's birth. And we are following a chronology, a chronology of the the events that occur. I mentioned that the Christmas story, the story of our Lord's birth, Jesus' birth is revealed, written, uh, provided by Matthew in chapters 1 and 2 and by Luke in chapters 1 and 2 and uh, genealogy in chapter 3. But neither one of them really writes chronologically and that's fine. Um, It's for us to figure it out and it's I don't think it's that difficult, but once we piece it together, we can see the uh, the early years not only of Christ's birth but also the uh, the announcement to Mary, her visit to Elizabeth, the announcement to Joseph, and then the arrival of course in in Bethlehem. So we covered the first three points here in these three passages. And that was the announcement of the conception of Mary, of Jesus to Mary. We saw Mary's visit to Elizabeth in Judea, not in Galilee, because that's where the announcement to Mary occurred, was in Nazareth of Galilee. So she travels to Judea, and she travels back. And in Matthew, we have the announcement of the conception of Jesus to Joseph. So now both parents are aware of what's happening. And Joseph takes Mary to be his wife. And we saw that at the end of Matthew uh, uh, 18 through about 25, that he marries her. Now we see that there is a reason for them to travel to Bethlehem. And that's what we find in Luke 2 the trip to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus Luke 2 one through seven chronologically this may seem to be um, a little out of place as we look at some of the other other occurrences here in Luke but it's not so this is how this would have happened and let's look a little closer at Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, in verses 1 and 2, we have a, a, dating, a dating challenge or problem, we could say, for translators and theologians. And we really struggle with, with this because we don't have accurate historical evidence to really date this but the sense is that this is probably occurring somewhere in the vicinity of seven, eight, seven, six, five 5 BC most scholars are going to date it just 6 BC somewhere in that vicinity so that we have a decree roman decree for families to go to their traditional home, their ancestral home, so they can be registered and then they can be taxed. And we see that Joseph, of course, is in Nazareth. He's just taken Mary to be his wife. And he comes up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, in our passages at least twice, is going to be called the city of David. So we continue to see that emphasis. Uh, doesn't need to be added here. They can just go to Bethlehem. But it's important because all of these events surround and <clears throat> really are grounded in the fact that we're talking about the royal line. This is the Messiah who's going to be born. The much anticipated promised one we could say. And so throughout our narratives, we're going to see that indicators are provided for us. And it says that he comes up to Judea, to the city of David, to a city which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And we, we went over in the first session how that Joseph is in the royal line the kingly line of David through Solomon down through Rehoboam and those of you who studied first uh, and second Samuel and first and second kings with me realize that the kingly line split at Rehoboam and we have Rehoboam and Jeroboam starting a dynasty, a new dynasty. He's not in the line of David. So, in the northern kingdom, we have a completely different dynasty starting, and then it stops, and then another dynasty, and then it stops, and then another dynasty, and then it stops, and then another one, and another one, and another one. Nine dynasties in the northern kingdom, but we have one Dynasty that continues in the southern kingdom. That's significance because that's the legal line for the Messiah. So that's Joseph. He is in the legal line. We studied the problem that comes with that, but <clears throat> that's on the first tape, so from the first session, so we have to go on. So to be registered with Mary his betrothed, the wife. Who was with, with child? So she's pregnant. They've traveled up to, to Bethlehem. And one of the questions that we have is, when did they travel? When did they make this move from Nazareth to Bethlehem? <clears throat> and I, I know that we have, I've, I've heard messages. Here is Mary, very pregnant. I'm not sure I always know what very pregnant is, but I think what that means is that she's probably in her ninth month ready to conceive, uh, to, to give birth, and they're traveling from Nazareth. You know, Someone told Joseph at the last minute, you know, you need to get up there. Well, why not have the child in Nazareth and then go up? So there's questions of why in the world would you travel... From Nazareth up to Bethlehem, we always go up when we go to the hill country of Judea. Why would you travel late in a pregnancy? so we we hear that story you know, there's Joseph leading a donkey with Mary riding on it. None of that is in the text of scripture. and as I, as I said earlier, in those days, particularly poorer families, walked everywhere they went. They didn't ride. We don't know that she rode on a donkey. We don't know that she rode in a ox cart. She may have. And I don't believe that Joseph would have walked her up to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant. It may have been her first pregnancy, but it wasn't the first pregnancy in human history. So, the, the further along she is in her pregnancy, the more difficult this trip is going to be. Not only that, but you'll notice that Joseph thought about divorcing her privately because he cared for her. He wanted to, for her to avoid the shame of being found pregnant, what we would call, out of wedlock. I think... There's other theologians that I think believe the same. That Joseph, as soon as he married her, said, we are go- I am going to need to register in Bethlehem. You are now my wife. We're going to Bethlehem. And he travels to Bethlehem almost immediately after the marriage. And he is probably the only one who knows she's pregnant. So... When she leaves Nazareth, no one is the wiser that she is three or four months pregnant. That's, there's never an issue of that, a problem of that in the Bible. And when she arrives in Bethlehem, well, we, we also don't know where she stayed. They may have stayed with friends, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, or they may have stayed with relatives. But the timing of that again, would not have been a problem or doesn't seem to have been a problem. And I think they walked. I think they walked. She had just walked to Judea three months ago, a couple of weeks ago, walked back down. I think they turned around walked right back up to the hill country of Judea. And that's where we find them. And now how does that square with Scripture? Well, it says, So it was, while they were there that's a pretty good translation so I think they are there and they're there for a while and after a while it's time to deliver the baby now again I know I'm shooting some holes or maybe being a little critical of Joseph wandering with Mary on the donkey, hold on dear don't fall off any room here? no? okay let's go to the next one Hold on. I don't think that's how it happened. I think they arrived. They found a place to stay. And that's sort of the timing of her proceeding in her pregnancy. So that when we arrive at the end of verse 6, the last clause there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So they're there. She is continuing to get to get more pregnant? I don't think so. You just, you know, she's just as we say showing more. And it's time for her to, to deliver. And she brought forth her firstborn son. Now again, this flies in the face of uh, the doctrine of mariology, but Mary had many more children. The father was Joseph So, this is just her firstborn. Her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and swathed him, we would say, in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, I need to straighten out this translation now. Oh, by the way, this was one of the modes of transportation. (laughs) little fellow. But I don't think that they used that. I think they walked. All right. Back to the trip to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus. Let's deal with this translation. The last phrase. By the way, the manger is a feeding trough. Well understood. The last phrase, because there was no room for them in the inn. The word for room here, tapas, is Place because there was no place for them. And then the word in, we have to deal with in. And by the way, you'll notice there's no innkeeper here. It's just an in. All right? Well, this word is the Greek word kataluma. K-A-T-A-L-U-M-A. Luma, And it's found in one other passage. One other passage that we have. And that passage is Luke... Let's see. Is it Luke 22, I think. Luke 22:11. So hold your finger here. Luke uses this word... Luke 22, verse 11. This is the Lord Jesus Christ finding a room for them in a house. So the Lord is speaking, tell, and he's telling them what to do. Verse 11, let's just start there. Then you, you disciples, shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? This is the only other place that we have this word used, Kazaluma. However, we do have a word for in that Luke uses. Let's go to ten thirty-four. Luke ten thirty-four. pandachion is the hebrew word and it's found in Luke 10:34 and in Luke 10:34 we have the good samaritan and he brings the individual who was attacked in verse 34 it says so he the good samaritan went to him bandaged the injured man's wounds pouring an oil pouring on oil and wine And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn. Good translation. In Luke 2, bad translation. This is not an inn. This is a room. Possibly a guest room. Now, I'm going to end up spending more time here than I would like. But let me show you some constructions of Construction of early or first century Israelite homes. I've got several pictures here, and I'll probably need to go through them a little quicker than. The first one is just using the same terminology that's in the passage no room in the inn. Here would be the house, and there would be a guest room in here. But there's also, in these homes, adjoining areas where animals could be brought in at night. Generally, the animals were outside during the day, but they would bring them in at night for security, and in sometimes during cold weather, they also would provide warmth. But they were very important to the family. And so there was a part of the house where they could be brought in. Let's look at the next picture. Here's another picture. On the lower floor, the other one was on sort of an adjoining construction, the upper floor here, and you can see in this case, if the animals are brought in at night, then the heat from them would rise, and it would help warm the upper floors. But this is where the animals would be. Now, if you're in a home, and the home is somewhat crowded, and you were about to give birth, it might be a bit crowded in the guest room if there's more people there. So you might look for another place if it's a little crowded or it's just not suitable in the guest room. And so we don't know this for certain, but it's possible that they moved from a guest room down below where some of the animals could have been, although we're not told that there are any animals here either. And we always have Bossy the cow and Nelly the horse and sheep running around may have been, but we don't know that the text doesn't tell us that. Here's another picture. Upper floor, lower floor. Bring the animals in at night into the courtyard in here, or there's a courtyard out here. Bring them in here to the stables. Um, These these are all uh, fairly simple construction. Let me go down to a diagram. This is another, and it's not quite as clear, but this is a diagram that uh, is, has been made uh, with out a guest room, but the, just a large family room. And here is the outer part, the outer wall, and the animals are brought in. And <clears throat> this construction in the historically we know that the animals sometimes were on the same somewhat on the same level but this would be this area would be built up here's the steps so you have about three or four steps here so it's not that high and mangers would be placed on the upper level and the animals would eat now in order for that to happen of course this can't be too high so maybe two feet maybe three feet These are gonna be very uh, low mangers. And so that's another possibility, that's a diagram. And here's another one with a guest room, diagram with a guest room, Cataluma over here. And could be outside or could be an internal access, but the animals again down here, steps in the manger's here. So I just provide you with that. Um, I think that this is a better concept a better orientation for where Joseph and Mary were staying. Now, I need to deal with a couple concepts here. One is that uh, there's tradition that says they actually that, that Christ was actually born, Jesus was actually born in a cave. That the stable was a cave. And by the way, um, many years ago, on my very first trip to Israel, we went to Bethlehem, and I was with a group that went down into a cave that is purported to be the location where Jesus was born. Could be, but I did not come away from it with a, you know, a warm, uh, wonderful feeling that, yes, now I understand because it was difficult, first of all, to get down into the cave. It was slippery, and if it was raining, it would be slip slippery. And it was very uh, close down there. It was a small opening. So I didn't come away from there with um, confidence that a cave is where that could occur, but that doesn't mean it wasn't that way. Tradition says that they were in a house and the stable for the house was in a cave and that's where they went so that's a possibility i can't rule that out but this is what homes how homes used to look all right now very quickly about this inn versus house i think david and everything that we read here david He's of the house and lineage... Excuse me, Joseph, of the house and lineage of David. I believe that when Joseph arrives in Bethlehem, he's not a stranger. That doesn't mean he was well-known and people were running around asking him to stay with them. But I believe, number one, he probably had relatives there where they could stay. He's in the line of David. He's in that family. If not there were probably maybe friends of the family where they could have stayed. And if not that, Jewish tradition and really even Palestinian tradition is hospitality. Great hospitality. And if you have a pregnant woman, why, there's no man who's going to be able to turn her away because the wife is going to say, of course we can take her in. I don't believe that they were wandering from Holiday in to Holiday Inn to try to find a place to stay mainly because they didn't have them at that time certainly would not have had one in Bethlehem so I think this is a better understanding and I think it's a better uh, it's a more accurate rendering of the translation as well so she brings forth her firstborn child all right Probably more could be said here. The wrapping and swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, um, laying someone in a manger at that time was not unusual. Every now and then we think, here it is, uh, you know, really, really humble circumstances. No, a manger often used at night in the house, maybe in the stable. The animals are gone, although, um, but. So laying someone in the manger is not that significant. And the wrapping and swaddling clothes, we often hear that, well, these were death clothes. Well, no, that's just simply the way that Jewish mothers uh, handled their children. Very similar to uh, the American Indians who would wrap the papoose and carry them on their back. The child's arms weren't flailing around and legs, no. The only thing that's exposed is the head. So what's the child doing? nothing. It's just right there. And so the mothers would wrap them so that arms and legs aren't flailing and lay them in the manger. And now she can do other things. Keep an eye on him, but he's not going anywhere. And I think that's the sense of what's occurring here. Lays him in the manger, in this guest quarters or the stables or wherever they were. And again... Uh, that also, I think, helps us with this translation. All right. Now we need to scamper along a little bit here. The angels announced the birth to the shepherds. Well-known passage. Luke 8. Luke 2, 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Now, this is the first mention of the word night. Again, we have this picture of the Lord being born at night. Jesus being born at night. It doesn't say that. It says the announcement came to the shepherds at night. So, they didn't show up 20 minutes after mother had given birth. That's usually a little bit of a private time for a mother. So, We don't know when Jesus was born as far as the timing is concerned. We simply know that the shepherds were notified at night. And why notified at night? This would be a spectacular scene. The glory of the Lord is going to shine out of darkness. Not only that, but it's symbolic. He is the light of the world. And the light of the world shines in the darkness. Here we have this symbolic presentation or announcement of our Lord's birth to the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. No kidding. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to just the Jewish people. No, all people. Savior of the world. For there is born to you this day, was born that day, in the city of David, a Savior. Joshua, Yeshua, who is Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be assigned to you when you go into Bethlehem. You will find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, He's lying in a manger in this feeding trough. That's how you know, you'll know you found him. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and here we now have innumerable hosts of angels. We have no idea how many were there. These are the elect angels praising God on the human birth of Jesus. You want a concert? You want a spectacular presentation? This was, well, it was heavenly. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone from them into heaven, and I would like to see how long it took them. Every now and then at the end of a performance that is really something, you just want to sit there and kind of soak it in. I'm sure they were stunned into silence. Just unbelievable. The most excitement they have on a day is out there. I don't know what they do. What would shepherds do? Chasing maybe uh, something away from the sheep. This was just remarkable. And they said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. The Lord came and told us. Who are we? We're the lowest rung. And God's told us. If he told us, it's for everybody else. But it's to us. We were told. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Bingo. I.D. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning the child. They could not be silenced. Off they went. And soon, everybody in the surrounding area knew what had happened. Evangelism. And all those who heard it marveled at those things, which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, all those spoken words, and pondered them in her heart. All of these things that Mary has heard and everything that's going on, she's pondering. Then the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Just an absolutely extraordinary scene. Six. We will move rather quickly through the next two parts here. Jesus circumcised on the eighth day So, if we were following a timeline, and I have a timeline, I'm probably not going to get a chance to show it to you, but if we were following a timeline, we have day one, seven days, and by the way, we could go back to to Leviticus 12 and read the days of purification for a woman who's had a child, and the days of purification were about 41 days. So, After eight days, seven days, the child is taken to be circumcised. Then we need to wait another 33 days before we get to point eight or point seven, Jesus presented in the temple, on the day after she is finished with her time of ritual purification from having this male child. It's twice as long for a female child, but we don't have time to study this. Jesus presented in the temple on the 42nd day, and that's Luke 2, 22 through 38. Again, a really remarkable passage. So we've done all of this so we can finally now be prepared for the Magi. And that's in Matthew 2. Matthew 2, the Magi arrive from Babylon and visit Herod the Great. So now we're ready for Matthew 2. Now, I must say at this point, we do not know when the Magi arrived. There's all kinds of speculation and it's kind of fun to kind of work with the dates. We just don't know. And the remarkable thing is, is that Herod knew and he ain't talking. I'll show you how he knew. All right. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... important behold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and that is our Greek word magi M-A-G-I plural did anybody see a number there three wise men three kings don't throw those songs out it's just that it's plural it could have been two it could have been three it could have been ten It could have been 110. We just don't know. We get three from three gifts. But how much gold was brought? We don't know. How much frankincense? How much myrrh? We don't know. And we don't know that those were the only gifts. We just know that those are the three that are mentioned. So a group, at least two, of Magi, and these are probably, in those days, it would probably be astrologers. They study astronomy, but they're considered magicians. And we see them in Daniel. Daniel 1, Daniel 2, Daniel 5. They're called magicians, sorcerers. They're the scientists of the day, but they're really astrologers. They're coming from the east. They came to Jerusalem. They're coming from, again, we're not told it's Babylon, but the east... That phrase in those days would mean Mesopotamia. It would probably mean Persia, Babylon. And so that's where we believe believe that was their home. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Oh, brother. We could spend a couple hours here. Let me make a few comments. First of all, they come from the East. Then it says, "We have seen his star in the east." The Greek word here for uh, for East is more of a figure of speech. It had to do with the rising of the sun in the east, and so it was in the east, so the rising of the sun became translated in English East. Now there is some question: Did they see the star? rising in the east or they were in the east and saw the star rising in the west. It, it probably makes more sense for us to understand that they saw that bright light in the west over Jerusalem. And it can be taken that way, but again, it's a little bit of a difficult passage. For we have seen his star. We know that it's his star. We're identifying it as his star. We saw it while we were in the east and have come to worship him. That's how I think maybe a little clearer understanding. They saw this star and this is not a natural star. And there's a lot of explanations of how this could have happened. But no matter how you explain it, and it wasn't a comet, uh, something closer to earth like that, but no matter how you explain it with planets or other suns and other solar systems that would still be very high in the sky. I don't care how bright it is. If it's you know some light years away, it's going to be exceptionally difficult to say, look, it's over Jerusalem. No, it could be over Chicago. So it has to be something in our atmosphere. Something that was truly noticeable by them. And by the way, we don't have a lot of other people noticing this. It may have only been noticed by these astrologers, these wise men. But anyhow, they see it and they decide they're going. Now, how do they know to go? Well, the short story would be that they are probably generations from Daniel. But Daniel writes of a coming Messiah in Daniel 9. And... Daniel would know of other prophecies that talk about a star and the scepter. And so it's possible that they were anticipating a star. The path around that is not clear, but that's what we think. But we do know that they identified it as his star and they come east. Now, how long it took them to travel, we don't know. We simply don't know. There is even some question about, well, when did the star actually appear? Did it appear on his birth? Did it appear before his birth? Did it appear after his birth? Well, I'm not the only one asking that question. Herod asked the same question. Herod wants to know. Well, Herod, first of all, has to find out. They're asking where he is. I don't know. He asks his wise men, the chief priests. Then Herod the king heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Why? I'm the king, or so he thinks. And all Jerusalem troubled with him. Yeah, because when Herod's troubled, everybody's troubled. And your heads are in danger of rolling. And then, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes. In other words, see, he knows what he needs to do. He needs to go to the religious leaders to find out who this king is I, he i think he knows who it is it's the messiah this is all uh, all of israel has been waiting for this uh, babe to be born he inquired of them where the christ was to be born the messiah he wants to know where the messiah is going to be born see he knows so uh, messiah or christ has not been used so they said to him in bethlehem of judea for it's written by the prophet micah but you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Verse 7. So, what does Herod want to know? I want to know how old this chap is. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. This is our evidence. We don't know. I think logically you can say it appeared at his birth. That's the most logical and it's probably the easiest for us to work into some sort of an equation here. And then they saw it. They say that must be the star of the Promised One. Now, so what? Just a king? Plenty of kings everywhere. Why Israel? I think they were probably, again, in the tradition of Daniel, probably believers. This is important. They understand the timeline of history revolves around this individual, as Daniel had taught them in Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Let's go see the marker that's just been placed in history. And they go. Now, how long does it take them to go? How many went? Is it a large caravan? Is it three you know, ships of the desert lurching along through the sands. Probably a rather large caravan. Takes it a while to form, takes it a while to move out. We're told, maybe historically, at least two months. At a minimum, a two-month journey. 500, 400 to six hundred miles depending upon how they go, how they track. But they saw the star, they believe it's over Jerusalem, and they say it's over Jerusalem, and they go. And they arrive, and they ask Herod. Herod says, when was that star? When did you see the star? text doesn't tell us what the answer was. And as I said, Herod didn't tell us. But we do know that Herod gets a fix on it. But he hasn't gotten a fix on the child yet. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. Not a baby anymore. Not a babe in a manger, but he's just a young child. So this could be several months at a minimum, or it might be a year. We just don't know. I think it's possibly closer to months than a year, but a year is not out of the question, and I'll show you why. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him worship two sides to the coin it's the messiah what would the shep what would the magi expect anyone to do to the messiah worship him herod knows who this is he's still going to try to kill him but he also says that to the magi because he wants to deceive them to his intention when they heard the um uh, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. I think it reappears. They didn't come to Jerusalem and the stars down over Bethlehem. It had brought them to Jerusalem and probably was no longer in appearance. Why? They wanted God wanted them to go to Herod. And then from Herod down to Bethlehem. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. And we're not, again, we're not going to get the, we can put five or six sons together and you're not going to be able to tell over which house it's standing. This is the Shekinah glory. This is the Shekinah glory. Marking the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. In other words, ah, there's the star again. It reappears. And when they had come into the house, Oikia, not just the room, but a house, they saw the young child, the Pideon, so this is a young child, with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So, that's the Magi. Angels warn Joseph about Herod's plot to kill Jesus, and they leave for Egypt. That's our next passage here. Our next passage says, Now, when they had departed, meaning the Magi, in verse 13 of Matthew 2, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word from Herod, excuse me, bring word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Herod wants to kill them. Herod now says, all right, where are the Magi? We heard they're on I-5 about five days out. They're not coming back. All right. I need to take action myself. So what kind of action is he going to take? Herod's slaughter of the children in Bethlehem. Matthew 2:16 through 18. Verse 16 says, then Herod when he saw that he had he was deceived by the wise men, you know, there's one thing that a deceiver hates is to be deceived. He was deceiving the wise men and they deceived him. (laughs) The nerve of those people. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, so it's not just in Bethlehem, but surrounding as well, from two years old and under, according to the time, which he had determined from the wise men. I think Herod is a very cautious man. He determined from them that the child was born here. And my guess, it's, I don't know, seven months? Could be four, could be seven, could be twelve. I don't think it's much beyond twelve. And Herod says, I don't want to miss this kid. We'll take him from two all the way down. So it may have even been younger than one. He doesn't care. Surprised he didn't say five. But it probably was well above. So two. Just make sure we don't miss him. And he does. He slaughters all the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts, two and under. Well, God recompenses our actions. And Herod dies not long after that. Herod's death is pretty well pegged in the spring of four BC he dies after a well-known eclipse and just before the passover i think he dies very soon after he slaughters those children the lord takes Herod the great out we don't know how long joseph and mary were in egypt probably takes them a week to get down there and maybe a week to get back. But we know that they're there for a while and then Herod dies and they they come back. And where do they go? They don't come back to Bethlehem. They go back to Nazareth. They go all the way back up to Nazareth. And we read that in verse 23 of Matthew 2 and also down in Luke. Luke 2.39, so that it appears that the the chronology is a little bit off in Luke, but it's not. Luke 2.39, so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So this is our chronology of Jesus' birth. And there's just it's just rich with details and information, and the fact that this is not just any child but it's a child that's in the line of David, fulfills the prophecies of being born in Bethlehem is in fact a virgin conception, so that we avoid the Kaniah curse, which I explained, but Mary is in the line of David through Nathan. And so he has the kingly line. Physically through Mary, legally through Joseph. And it's a virgin birth. Not a human, not a human concept, it's a virgin conception, virgin birth, I'm wrapping it all together. It's a virgin conception which allows us for the hypostatic union not a human father, born without a sin nature, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is celebrated in two days on Christmas. It's a remarkable story. It's just incredible. And um, someday we will see those angels in chorus praising God. But before that happens, we must go, it's reversed for us we'll see him someday but we need to do what the shepherds did, we need to tell others about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this is a very special Christmas and a very special time a very special birth and without it, human history would be well I'm not sure where it would be a lot worse than it is today and it's in bad shape today. But we have hope. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this marvelous story. We're thankful for your perfect plan that brings to us our Savior, your Son, and truly the light of the world. And we're thankful, Father, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The other things we learn from this story is that your hand is in history And it's molding and shaping our lives as well. Help us to understand that. Help us to have a sense of that and live our lives accordingly. And help us to celebrate this birth date with the reverence and the worship that it deserves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.